It just feels like sometimes as we're reading through the Gospels, we want to say, Jesus, do you not understand how it works, how things work in the world? And so Luke gives us the story of the day that Jesus walks into Jericho. And there's a large crowd that's gathered. They want to hear him. They want to see him. And Luke tells us that there's one man who's trying to get a look at Jesus. Not necessarily, it doesn't say he's trying to hear him, trying to get a look at Jesus. And uh, he can't see because of the crowd. And so this man, whose name is Zacchaeus, climbs up in a sycamore tree. By the way, if you go to Jericho to this day, they will show you that sycamore tree, which always sounds a bit suspicious to me. But anyway, there he is, and Jesus stops right underneath that tree and says, hurry down, I'm going to your house tonight. And then Luke says, everyone who was there began to grumble. And they said, he's going to eat with this sinner. Another story in Luke's gospel, Jesus is invited to a dinner party at the home of a Pharisee, which is much more respectable. And while he is there, this woman comes in. She's crying. And she takes this jar of ointment and kneels down and pours it on the feet of Jesus she's crying and she washes his feet and the host gives her no towel and she uses her hair to dry his feet and the Pharisee is sitting there Luke tells us he's thinking to himself if this guy really was a prophet he would know about this woman he would know that she's a sinner. And he knows. And it isn't just Jesus. The followers get in on it too. One day, Peter is on the rooftop praying and he's hungry, as preachers often are. And he's waiting for food to be prepared. And he has this vision and this sheet comes down out of heaven and it's full of all kinds of things that we like to eat without the fur. And the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he goes, no, uh, I mean, that's, that's unclean. I don't do that kind of thing. And it happens. And on the third time, he hears this voice that says, don't you dare call unclean what God has called clean. And about that time, there's a knock at the, on the door and there are messengers from the household of Cornelius. And even a preacher can begin to put that together. And he goes, and he is surprised. Cornelius, not just a Gentile, actually a member of the Roman military, the people who have them, well, it's the occupying military force. Praying, seeking, looking. And God sends to them the gift of grace and the Holy Spirit. One Sunday after church, Fred Craddock said, after he finished the sermon, that a man and his wife came up and invited he and his wife out to dinner. As he tells the story, he says the man is an attorney. I don't know that that's necessarily important to the story, but it seemed to be important to him. So if you're an attorney, listen up. This man happened to be an attorney. 
And they went out to dinner, and while they were sitting there eating lunch, this attorney said to him, I really don't know whether to say I didn't like your sermon or I didn't like the text. And he waits for the next line, and the man says, it's easier to say I didn't like your sermon because my wife doesn't like for me to speak against the Bible. This may be your Sunday. This may be the one that you don't like what Jesus said, but you would rather just say you don't like that I said it. So that's all right. Go ahead. We're in Matthew chapter 7. We're on the final chapter of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And here are the words of Jesus. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For the judgment you give will be the judgment you get. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? I can only imagine the crowd laughed. Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. And it seems to me that that last verse sounds very judgmental. Hmm. This is the word of God for the people of God. I've read so many comments this week about these verses and how people are reading them and understanding them. Tolstoy, yeah, the Tolstoy read these verses and thought that the social demand for abolishing the entire system of public justice is found right here in these words. We need to just get rid of all of it, which seems just a bit extreme to me. On the other side, there was a well-known German scholar, Julius Wellhausen, who argues against Tolstoy, and he says this is a moral injunction about private judging. It was too common among Jews and Christians at the time, and that kind of stuff just has to go. That's an ugly vice that needs to be rooted out of our human fellowship. Shakespeare based an entire play on the second verse of today's passage. Measure for measure. It's classified as a comedy, but that is one dark, disturbing comedy. One other comment I read, and I had never come across this name, a German Protestant theologian, Carl Friedrich George Heinrichi who said, De liebhafte apostrophe on die which sounds very angry. And he said, the vivid this is the vivid apostrophe on self-deception. Out of all the comments, this is the one I've been carrying with me for two weeks, the vivid apostrophe on self-deception. That all of us in some way, at some point, deceive ourselves. All of us at some point try to make it about someone else. Their wrongness, their evilness, their sin, their mistake, their words, their actions, their comments. And we deceive ourselves instead of looking in the mirror. And he said, these verses put the vivid apostrophe, that is, you have to own it. It is now yours. It is now you. 
And we have to stop looking at other people and we have to stop pointing our finger at other people and we have to own up to who we are and what is happening in our lives. Do not judge. The word that's used in, in this text, it has at least two meanings. The first one is just discerning between two different things. The red car is in better condition than the blue car. I don't think Jesus has a problem with that. We are even encouraged by Jesus in other places, as well as other passages in the Bible, to discern between good and evil. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think he means judgment to sit in a place of superiority to condemn. On the one hand, it's to discern. And for those in the back, you may not be able to read this, but on the left side, there's a row of apples and there are a row of oranges and it says apples are not oranges. Yeah, no problem. On the other side, it says apples are less than oranges and the oranges are very angry. And one of them's holding up a sign that says God hates apples. And another one is holding up a sign that says death to apples. Those are very angry oranges. And Jesus says, that has to go. Condemning others, passing judgment on others, declaring other people to be irretrievably guilty, it leads to devaluing people. That's what Jesus' enemies did to him. That's how they treated him. That's the way of the world, but it is, not of the, it is not the way of God's kingdom. Not only is it popular as in the way of the world, it's encouraged. It's encouraged in the world in which you are going to go into this week. You saw it, you experienced it less last week. It, it may be part of the political group you're part of. Oh, if someone disagrees with you, say anything you want to say, say nasty things about them, make up things about them. And it would be one thing if we could stand here this morning and we could just say, there's something wrong with our political system. Why are people, why will they not listen? Why will they not sit down? Why will they not talk to each other? Why will they not show respect to each other? But it's also in the church. I don't like that theology. I don't like that group of people. I don't like that preacher. I don't like with that... I'll say nasty things, I'll post nasty things, I'll think hateful things, and Jesus says, no, don't judge. Go ahead. The same way you judge others, now God's going to judge you. Hmm? The same measure you go, that's go ahead, go ahead and try it. That's the same way God is going to respond to you. Uh, Greg Boyd is a pastor who says you can't love and judge at the same time. It's impossible to describe unsurpassable worth to others when you're using others to ascribe worth to yourselves. So this week, watch for it. Watch for it. Watch what comes up as you check your news feed. Watch what comes up, some tweets that you receive. Watch what comes up as you go into the world God has made 
Why do you see, yeah, it is funny, yeah. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? Jesus was not afraid to use humor. And I'm assuming that people did laugh out loud. And maybe they experienced it. The Sanhedrin that would use their power to protect their status rather than seek out justice. One way of reading this, it, these are words to all of us religious types who are tempted to say in some way we must be better than others. We are convinced of our righteousness to the degree that we say, fail to see our own sinfulness, the vivid apostrophe of self-deception indeed. So this week, when you feel the impulse to point a finger at someone else, this week, when you feel the impulse to condemn someone else, this week, when you hear someone, and let's just be honest, you don't like them and you disagree with them, before you act on it that way, why not try this? Lord, show me the plank in my own eye. That's our prayer. Lord, show me the plank in my own eye. That's our prayer. Lord, show me the log sticking out of my own eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. And we have to ask, who are the dogs and who are the pigs and what are the world are the pearls? Pigs. First century, it's an abusive term to describe the Romans. Dogs, first century, it's an abusive term to describe the Gentiles, the pagans. And the dogs will maul you, and the pigs have no idea that pearls are of any value, and they'll just trample them. It's the pearls that's caught my attention. Some people have said, well, the pearls, that, that refers to, uh, well, important rites and rituals within the church that we need to value, and some people don't understand them. That just seems a bit self-serving for the church that develops later on. Some have said, well, we need to read this in a missionary context. We need to be careful with whom we even share the gospel. There are some people who are not ready to understand it. They, they cannot value it. They do not see the truthfulness in it, and you're wasting your time even talking to them. I want to take it back to where Jesus is now. I keep going back to the Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking these very words about judging other people. What if that's the first context we're to start with? What if what is holy, the pearls, refers to our brothers and sisters that we have been degrading? What if the pearls refer to the character of these people who are made in God's image and we stopped listening to them and we started judging them? What if the pearls are the people that we do have some problems with and instead of loving them and instead of going, you know, I would love to come to your home and eat a meal or inviting them into our home and eating meals instead of acting as Jesus clearly does over and over again. We have degraded them and mocked them and in some way try to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. You cannot follow Jesus and expose them to humiliation or bring discredit on them. 
You can't. So I found a list I've been struggling with this week. It's a list someone made of ways that we do this, ways that we judge others. Here are a few of the examples. Maximizing the sin of others, their faults, their petty ways. Coming to quick, hasty, negative conclusions. Making mountains out of molehills. Getting involved in situations where you should not be involved. Passing along critical stories to others. Having a strong bias to find others guilty. Being too harsh even when speaking the truth. Adding aggravating remarks when telling a story. Our judgment is wrong when it is needless and unfounded and hasty and severe. And I see myself in this list. Do you? Do you see yourself in this list? Do we have time to live this way? They called him Daddy King, not Martin Luther King Jr., his father, Martin Luther King Sr. He saw a lot in his 84 years growing up in Georgia. He saw lynchings. The first time that he went to register to vote, he went to the courthouse, and to register to vote, you had to go upstairs. There was one elevator. It was for whites only. The stairway was blocked off and closed, and the elevator for blacks was out of order. He saw a lot in his 84 years. He's mostly remembered for the accomplishments of his son, Martin Luther King Jr., who, of course, as you know, was killed by an assassin's bullet. One year later, Martin Luther King Sr. lost another son in a backyard swimming pool accident. And then the final blow came in 1974 during a church service. As he's standing at the pulpit, his wife is playing the Lord's Prayer, and a young man stands up in the congregation and starts shooting. And as he is standing there, he watches in horror as his wife is cut down. Near the end of his life, and reflecting on all of these things that's happened, and his continual insistence on nonviolence, He's asked the question, and this is his response. There are two men I'm supposed to hate. One is white, the other is black, and both are serving time for having committed murder. I don't hate either one. There's no time for that. I was reading someone this week who uh, was describing God's kingdom And they didn't use the word kingdom, they used the word reign-dom, R-E-I-G-N-D-O-M. They made up a new word to talk about God's reign and God's rule. We have a decision to make this morning. What do we have time for? The years you have left? The hours you have this week? What do we have time for? Time to hate? Time to be anxious? Time to be angry? Time to love? Time to seek God's reindom? Time to forgive? Time to rest? 
time to rediscover what it means to be made in God's image and to join in with what God is doing right here. Your home, your school, your neighborhood, God's world. Judge not. You don't have time. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we lean into your teaching and we lean into your grace and we lean into your power. And we ask that you take it away from us. The desire to hurt. The desire to hide our own hurt and fear by lashing out at others. To have enough faith to rest in you that we have enough confidence to listen and learn and find your way. And so in these few moments as we worship, will you come to us and save us in Christ's name? Amen. We're going to stand and sing, and we invite you to respond. If you've been hearing God, just that gentle voice speaking to you this morning, if you've never committed to finding Christ, we give you that opportunity this morning. Or you're looking for a group of people, you've been feeling that, we, we want you to be a part of our mission, the work that God has given to us. We would love to have you join us in that. Will you please stand?